0: Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, I just want to start off by letting you know that the Psalms are what we're about to study. We're about to spend four weeks in the Psalms. And what we're going to see is that the Psalms in and of themselves, they are actually poetic expressions. They are beautiful poetic expressions of the human experience that examine the the tension between humanity, the world, and the Lord. And through the Psalms, what we see is we see a picture. They create a picture of how we are called to respond to the reality of our world and the revelation of our God. They're a picture of how we experience, how we should move into that collision between what the world tells us and what God has told us. And the poetic and the musical nature of these psalms, what's so beautiful is that it allows them to move our hearts in a unique way. It allows them to move in our hearts and our minds in a way that music always has and always will. Because music in and of itself, what it does is it creates a vivid picture of a shared experience. Music has a way of drawing us in, of showing us what it looks like to live in this area or go to this place or say these things. What music does is it invites us into a shared experience that's immediately understandable, that's instantly relatable, and that is oftentimes very is- inspirational. We see that in the psalms. We see that in the music of today. And in beeping. And you need to go to the beginning. There it is. Ah, la, 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 wait till I give my money right. the drama, people suing me I'm on TV talking like it's just you and me I'm just saying how I feel, man I ain't one of the these I ain't go to Hill, man I guess the money should have changed them I guess I should have forgot where I came from la, 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 wait till I get my money right La, 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 la you can't tell me nothing can't tell me nothing. Beautiful. (laughs) Spoken by Kanye, lip synced by Galifianakis. Can't tell me nothing is a, it is a ballad of our times. And I'll tell you why. Because what it does is it creates a picture. It presents an image of a shared experience. What it does is it reminds all of us that, you know what? We really don't want nobody telling us nothing. Like we don't want that in our lives, why? Because we in and of ourselves, we are people who reject instruction. That's something that we do. as humanity, we reject instruction. We reject the instruction to not put candles in our dorm room. you're going to step up on me and make that a thing Fr- frontin like, no, I'll put candles in there. We're going to reject the instruction in some sort of manual that tells us how to put our desks together. I know how to put a desk together. I know what that looks like. It has four-ish legs. Like, I know what to do to make a desk. I don't need some manual to tell me what to do. We reject repeatedly these instructions. Why? Because we feel like they're interfering with our greatest joy, with our pursuit of our greatest joy. I want my dorm room to smell not like garbage. And so I want a candle in there to help me in that pursuit. We want our desk spaces to be quickly assembled. We don't want to have some sort of instruction that could interfere with that. Man, we're instructed to go to every single class? (laughs) Come on, I wanna live my life outside of the cinder block prison walls of a classroom, right? Baby birds gotta fly. And if they don't get that, then we're just gonna reject that instruction. If we feel that instruction is beginning to impede or interfere with how we chase or what we chase for our greatest joy, we choose to reject that instruction. That's what we do. Even if that instruction comes from God, who promises that his way is best, Even then, we find ourselves as people choosing to reject the Lord's instruction on how to forgive. Because it's so much more attractive in the in the short term to hold on to that bitterness or to hold on to that hatred or to hold on to that wrong that we experience. So we reject the Lord's instruction. We reject the Lord's instruction on how to enjoy our sexuality because we have a better idea. We have a better plan for ourselves. We reject the Lord's instruction on how to interact with our family. We reject the Lord's instruction on how to view our relationships or how to view our work or how to view our morality or how to view our future. We say, no, I have a greatest joy. I have something that I'm going to pursue and I know it's best and I'm worried that God does not have my best at heart. I'm worried that as I'm chasing my greatest joy, that God's instruction it's not going to get me there. And so I choose to reject that instruction. I choose to reject that wisdom. And what we're seeing in the Psalms is a book not only of praise, not only of beautiful songs that move in our hearts and in our minds, what we see in the book of Psalms is wisdom. What we see in the book of Psalms is instruction. And what we see is the the Lord telling us how to find the greatest joy in this life. And Psalm 1 sets it all out, puts it all out on the table. And it tells us that if we are rejecting the Lord's instruction, the world around us is going to reject the Lord's instruction because it wants to make its own way. But we as believers, we are called to stay rooted in the Lord's wisdom to understand that his way is best, that his instruction leads to life. That's what Psalm 1-6 says. The very final verse of this passage tells us that the Lord guards the way of the godly, but the way of the wicked ends in destruction. Again, it's just putting all the cards out on the table. It says that God's way is best and sin's way is broken, that God offers life and sin offers death. This is our gospel, that we in and of ourselves will choose death and choose destruction. We will choose to be wicked. We will choose to sin. Right? In other words, we will choose to do something outside of the revealed will of God. And when we do that, that, be, that brings imperfection into our lives, and our God will only tolerate perfection. Our God wants perfection from his people. And if I am imperfect, then I have no hope to be with him. I am destined for destruction, destined for death, not just physical death. I am destined, I'm headed towards spiritual, eternal death, meaning that I will be separated from the God who made me for all of eternity because of my sin. That's where I'm at. That's what I'm capable of. That's my highest potential to die. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Jesus Christ, who stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live the life we could not live, to die the death that we deserved, so that he might rise again three days later, proving his power over sin and death, so that anyone who calls on his name, anyone who trusts in him as their God, as their savior, anyone who puts their faith in him, might have eternal life, might be adopted out of sin, out of death, and out of being a child of wrath, and suddenly you become a son or a daughter of the Lord Most High. And nothing will change that. Nothing will remove that relationship status. Nothing can snatch you out of your father's hand. Nothing you say, nothing you do will ever change or remove or destroy or cancel that relationship. That's our gospel. God says, I wanna care for you. I wanna move you, I wanna guide you. And I've given you instruction on how to live a life that's best. And he says, my instruction what it does is it results in joy. If you were following my instruction, my wisdom, it's, it will lead to joy, I promise. Because I, God, made this world. I know how it works. I know the tips and tricks. I got all the life hacks that you could ever need. Yet rejecting God's instruction that results in destruction, we would probably agree that that's not best. It's not what we want. So how do we follow God's commands? How do we stay rooted in his instruction? How do we make sure that we are on the way of the godly? Psalm 1 lays out three principles. Psalm 1 essentially tells us that, look, if you want to stay rooted in the Lord's instruction, you need to pay attention to three things in your life. It says that your position is going to be determined by three things. It's going to be determined by your practices, it's going to be determined by your uh, perspective, and it's going to be determined by your priorities. In other words, where you're rooted, what path you're following is determined by what you do, by what you see, and by what you value. That's what we see in Psalm 1. And what we see in Psalm 1 is beautiful. There's this parallelism in it because Hebrew poetry, it, it was all about parallel ideas, not rhyming words, but instead it would kind of conjoin ideas, whether they were in line with each other or contradictory to each other. You see it over and over again in Hebrew poetry. It's all about structure, it's less about rhyme scheme. And so, what we see in Psalm 1 is there is this parallel where you're seeing that your position, sorry, your practice, your perspective, and your priorities, these all matter, these all direct, these all determine where you're rooted, and they are shaped by your community and by your commitment. In other words, the people that you surround yourself by, surround yourself with, and the process that you commit yourself to. That's what we see in Psalm 1. That's why in Psalm 1, verse 1, he starts off by telling us that how blessed, or you could also say how happy, you could say how joyous is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked. Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's command. The psalmist starts off by telling us, look, what you do, how you walk, Determines where you're rooted. Determines what path you're following. Right? This is pretty intuitive. He's saying that what you do, your practice your practices, they determine the path that you're following. He says, that's why blessed is one who does not walk, who does not move, who does not do things in the way of the wicked. Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. This is boiling down to what you do. And he starts off by saying, and it's shaped by your community, right? Who you surround yourself with shapes our practices. It shapes what we do. If you're a guy, sometime this summer or last spring, you decided to live with three to 12 more dudes, right? Like that's what you walked into this semester. You're in a house of four to 15 and you are loving it. I hope, right? You're in this environment where you're interacting with these guys and you're getting to know each other and it's awesome. And what you'll find is that over the next few months, something incredible and magical is gonna happen. What's gonna happen is that you as a guy, you're gonna begin as a community, as a little house, you're gonna begin watching the same shows. It's just gonna sort of happen. You're gonna watch the same movies. You're gonna find yourself uh, listening to the same music. You're gonna find yourselves playing the same video games. And what's gonna happen is that over the course of those months, you're gonna find yourselves not just doing all these things together, suddenly you're gonna find yourselves Speaking differently, right? You'll no longer have to use normal people terminology. Instead, (laughs) instead of full sentences, your entire vocabulary will be, you know, movie quotes and FIFA references. Just all of it, all of it. To the point that you can just sit down with your buddy and you're like, look, bro, treat yourself 2011. Go to the midfield, cross. And he'd be like, thank you. I should text her tomorrow. I appreciate that. Like that's, <laughs> that's going to happen. You're going to find yourself in that situation and no one else will understand it, but that makes it all the more beautiful. And girls, you're going to be in the same thing, right? Girls are going to go through the same experience. There's going to be fewer girls uh, that you're living with. It's going to be cleaner people that you'll be living with, but you're going to find yourself changing your vocabulary. But what's even greater is you're not even going to need TV quotes. You're going to go to the next step. You won't even need spoken language at all. You won't need any words because as you continue to become attuned to each other and get to know each other and merge with each other, you'll find that you can walk into a crowded room at a party. You'll look across the room, you'll see your friend and you'll just kind of give a meaningful and she knows what's up. Like she's got it. She knows what's up. You're going to walk in the room. You're just going to (sighs) go and just say, oh, oh snap. We got to go. Karen is ready to go bounce. We got to get out of here. Josh is here. Like they're going to know that something's on the mix. Why? Because who you're surrounded by, they change what we do. Our community shapes our practices. We've all seen this in our lives. We've all done things or said things or gone places or made decisions that we would never thought we would, have, we would make or places that we never thought we'd go because of the community that shaped us. For better or for worse, we've seen this play out. See it growing up, see it in high school, see it in college, you'll see it post-graduation. The community that you're surrounding yourself with drastically shapes your practices, what you do. So my question for you is, who has the loudest voice in your life? Who is that? Who is it in your circle, in your community? Who is it that you look at and you say, yeah, I, wanna, I want my life to be like that person. I would be okay if my life followed in their steps. And if you don't have someone like that in your immediate circle, I'm really sad for you. And I would encourage you to maybe broaden that circle. And what's beautiful is that why, that's why we have the body of Christ. That's why we have diversity in the body. That's why we're called to gather together so that we might influence each other in Powerful, good, productive ways. That's why I'll tell you, I told you last week, I'm telling you this week about merge. If you're looking towards uh, marriage with a person you're seriously dating or you're engaged, I would encourage you to consider coming on Tuesday nights and be in a merge study. You'll be in a small group of other couples who are in the same stage as you, but you also have leaders of people who have walked ahead of you who are years into their marriage. Maybe have raised kids, maybe have done different things and they can speak into your life and they can shape your practices. They can shape what you do in a good positive way that's focused on the Lord and on glorifying him through your relationship. You can do that. If you're a senior, you can join Life After College, a study that we have that's specifically aimed at seniors where you're meeting with an older couple. They'd say, look, this is where you're headed. I've gone there. I've done that. Learn from my mistakes. Don't do the same bad things that I did. Learn from where I've gone. Learn from my errors so you don't have to make the same mistakes. And they point you towards life outside of college. And they say, this is what it's gonna look like. This is how you follow, this is how you find community. Because we need people in our midst who have loud voices, who are able to shape what we do, who are leading lives that we look at and want to copy and want to emulate. We are shaped in our practices by our community. We're also shaped by our commitment. Whereas we do the same thing over and over and over again. What that does is it builds a habit. My wife and I, we, are, uh, we have a daughter named Charlotte who's awesome. She's a year and a half old. She enjoys uh, bagels and, she, and booths. Uh, and she has been learning over the last few weeks the art of thank you. Okay, so we've been trying to teach her how to say thank you and when to say thank you and all that good stuff. And so we would give her things or do something for her, and every time we'd be like, "Hey, what do you say?" Like, you say thank you. Say, tell me, you know, Mama, thank you. And she was starting to get it. A few weeks ago, she'd start to get. It. She'd be like, "Thank you," and we'd be like, "Oh my goodness, I love you." And we just—it was so great. Uh, but what we found that over the last few weeks, uh, not only would it be, like, I hand her something, she goes, thank you. But then, like, she would go and just, like, hand something to, like, one of you on a Sunday and be, like, thank you. And just, like, walk away. And we're, like, what's well, Not quite the. And then she would just, like, go. We'd be, like, hey, Charlotte, I need you to come into this room. Thank you. And then she would come. i like, huh? I told her. The breaking point was I told her. I said, hey, Charlotte, okay, I need you need to stay right here. Daddy's going to go potty. She goes, thank you. And I'm, like, well, okay. I didn't know you cared about my bladder that much, but. I realized that, okay, she's not quite getting it. Instead of teaching her the proper context, instead we've just sort of created this habit in her life because of our commitment to let her know and understand and practice the art of saying thank you. We've created this habit, this instinctive reaction that she has to basically any life situation. And we've seen this in our lives, right? We've seen commitment shape what we do. We've been confronted with something that we've done wrong and then we get defensive. Instinctively, we get defensive. Why? Why? It's just a habit that we build. We just get into the practice of doing this thing over and over again until it's just knee-jerk reaction. Someone comes to uh, someone comes to me and they say, "Look, I, I I'm going to hurt like someone hurts me in some way. What do I do? I instinctively I hurt him back. Why? It's just this habit that I've built. Someone asks me to sacrifice for him and, and I avoid. it. I come up with an excuse. Why? It's just this instinctive response. It's this habit that I built through continued practice. So we need to be careful. I mean, where are our practices? What are our habits? What are we committing ourselves to? I would ask you, what are your spiritual habits? Where are you committing yourself actively and training yourself to obey the Lord's commands? Is there a spiritual discipline that you're committing yourself to? Is there a habit you're trying to form in your relationship with the Lord? It's hard, it's hard. But we're called to it. And it determines where we're rooted. What we do determines where we're rooted. What we see, our perspective, also determines that. The, the psalmist puts it this way. He says, how blessed is the one who does not stand in the pathway with sinners. Instead, he meditates on God's commands day and night. He's saying, look, moving beyond, moving beyond just the walking, he says this is, you're going to find yourself standing in places. You're going to find yourself choosing a position. You're going to find yourself choosing a perspective, essentially, of how to look at the world. And he says it starts off with our community, right? Our community will shape how we view the world. It will shape our perspective, sometimes in incredibly horrific ways.
0: Have you ever wanted to lick your cat? Now you can, without the fur balls. Introducing Licky Brush. Cats groom each other as a form of social bonding. As a human, you're left out of this intimate ritual. With licky brush, you can now lick your cat back.
1: just like that, wear a hat, I don't know, okay, but we, we see perspectives shifted by community, this, over 2,000 people raised over $50,000 on Kickstarter to make this a thing, this is a thing that you can buy with money, you can like give someone real legitimate currency, and they will hand you in return a Licky brush, and I hope every single time they do, they say, lick your cat, I hope that there's just a meaningful exchange, why? Because these people have found themselves in some sort of community. I don't know if it's like other people that love cats. I don't know if maybe their entire community is cats. But they find themselves in a community that has shaped their perspective to say, this is good. This is normal. This is a worthwhile endeavor to lick my cat with a big pacifier. Like that's, that's happened. And we've seen this in our lives, right? We've seen community shape our perspectives. Maybe it's to lick our cats. Maybe our community has shaped our view to think that we need some sort of substance to have fun, right? I've walked through that. I've experienced that where you just get into this mindset. You're surrounded by these people who shape your perspective to say, we need this element present or we need the substance imbibed because we need these things in order to enjoy ourselves. And that community, it will shape your perspective. The community will shape your perspective to assume like I need the certain social social status for fulfillment or I need to reach the status for, for just safety so that I feel good about myself. Our community will shape our perspective to think well I need this accomplishment for personal worth. I need to you know, get that job or make that salary or have those things or have this type of kid or I need to go on this trip or have these vacations or I need to make this GPR so that I can find worth and value in this world. We have communities that will shape our perspective to match that. And it's wrong. It's counter to what the Lord tells us. And yet community can warp and change and shape our perspective. So my question for you is who has the greatest access and input into your life? Who's that person? Who's shaping the way you view things? Have you given anyone access and input into your life? Is there anyone that can kind of step up into your sphere, into your bubble, and correct you if you're viewing something wrong? Does that person exist? Who broadens and corrects your perspective? Who is that? Because we need people. We need people to sharpen us in that way. We need people to keep us grounded, to correct us where we're wrong. We need community to shape our perspective. We also need commitment. We've seen commitment shaping our perspective. My wife and I, we have our daughter, Charlotte, who's amazing, a year and a half old. We are also expecting our first son, who is coming in February. I know, I'm very excited. Uh, and we just found out a couple days ago that it is a son, that it's a boy. Uh, we found out on Wednesday. And as soon as that happened, uh, we... My perspective has changed, right? Like suddenly, I'm looking at life a little bit differently now that I know that I have a son coming in February. I, I realize that, hey, okay, I'm gonna have to like start looking at uh, sports. <laughs> like I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to do that now. I guess I'm gonna have to. He might wanna be involved in those things, so I need to know. Like, yeah, that's right. That's a good kick, buddy. Like I don't know. I'm gonna need to know. How to do those things, maybe, just in case. I'm going to need to broaden my perspective. And what it also means is I get to keep seeing, I get to keep looking at all my old Star Wars toys that were almost about to be banished. But now, I have a son. He'll need to play with those, obviously. He'll need to play with all of my old video game systems that I've collected and stored. Like, I'm going to need to, I guess I'll just have to bring them all out. Gosh, I guess that N64 is going to have to go in the living room because, you know, little... Billy, I don't know. We don't have a name, but we, I need to have these things. I need to look at these things. Why? Because I'm committed to raising this kid. I'm committed to being a part of his life. I'm committed to helping shape him and develop him. And that commitment, what it does is it shapes my perspective. I see the world differently based on that commitment that I've made. And we've all seen that in our lives. We've all had commitments shape our perspective. Some of us have been committed to seeing a terrible, terrible, toxic, destructive relationship as good. Some of us have found ourselves in that. Some of us are in that right now where we just convince ourselves that no, like this is good. This is a good thing. This is the way it should work. It's, maybe it's rough right now, but it, it'll be better. And we shape our perspective. We break our perspective because of just a personal commitment we have. Some of us have committed ourselves to seeing a destructive habit as necessary for joy or fulfillment. say this has to be present. I've got to maintain this lifestyle. I've got to maintain this lie. It's necessary for me. Some of us, we've convinced ourselves, we've committed ourselves to seeing a harmful attitude as justified. I'm going to harbor ill will and bitterness or hatred or towards these people or towards that group or towards this situation because that's, that's right. It's wrong. It's a broken perspective but it's warped, it's changed by our commitment. So my question for you is, where does scripture shape your perspective? Where are you allowing scripture to shape how you see things, how you see the world? Are you comparing your thoughts and ideas and perspectives to God's, that he's revealed to us in his word? Are you committed to meditating on his word, on his scripture, day and night? It's hard. Being here is a great first step. You're listening, you're hearing the word. And it does not go out in vain. You're hearing the words of God revealed through His scripture, put on a screen, spoken into your ears. But are you studying it on your own or in a community? Are you reading it? Are you investing in it? Are you memorizing it? Are you placing it in your heart and in your mind? Are you locking it away so that it's available whenever you're tempted to have the wrong perspective, either because of the community that's around you or the commitments that you've made? Do you have that scripture readily available? Because God calls us to that. He says, I have a better perspective that I want you to keep. I have better practices. I want to shape what you do. I want to shape what you see. And He says, I also want to shape your priorities. I want to shape what you value. The psalmist puts it this way He says, It's how blessed is the one who does not sit in the assembly of scoffers and said, He is like a tree planted by flowing streams. He says, if you there's this natural progression of things, right? You're walking and then you're standing and then you're sitting. And he's doing this intentionally. He's saying, you know what? It's, it's pretty easy to change what you do. That's just sort of force a will. Like you can build new habits. It's a little bit harder to change how you see things, to change your perspective. That's a longer process. He says, but you know what's really hard to change is where you're sitting. Because when you look in ancient scripture or ancient literature, when you see the idea of sitting in a place or with people, that's signifying this is where I belong. These are my people. This is my place. Place where I rest. This is where I put down roots. And so he says, "Man, some of you you're going to find yourselves tempted to sit in the assembly of scoffers." He says, "But blessed is the man who plants, who sits, who's rooted by the streams, the flowing streams, which he's saying is the Lord's instruction, the Lord's wisdom, the Lord's word." He says, "That's who's blessed. That's where joy is found. Because what you value determines where you go, and where you go determines where you sit." And our community plays a large role in that, right? Just yesterday, the vast majority of us made the trek, right? We parked God knows where to somehow make our way on our great pilgrimage to Kyle Field. Some of us grabbed food along the way, from some random tailgate tent, right? And threw them a nickel. And we just tried to get there at all costs, right? And we were willing to go past grass we can't stand on, to get to bleachers we can't sit on, to just scream at students. They're just, they're just students. They're just like you. But they're students who are doing their best. And we scream at them to make them football better. Like we want them to do it better. And they did really well. But they, we yell at them and we commit ourselves to this. Why? Because that's what we value because we want to we want to value our team we want to value our unity we want to value our academic or our sports things like we want to, we want that to be a priority in our lives and so we're not affected we're not deterred by the effort it takes right we're not deterred by the weather that may come they tell us in my rain we say good i consume the rain like bring it I will go and I will be and I will stand and I will yell, regardless of the upcoming tests we might have. Because our parents will understand, be like, Mom, prove you AM, okay? I had to be there. That was a season breaker. Like, we had to get there and do that. Like, I needed to be a part of that experience, regardless of the test, regardless of whatever responsibilities might be coming up. We are undeterred, we are unaffected by those possible hindrances and obstacles. Why? Because we value being a part of that team. We value cheering on our people and everything else just falls away. And that's shaped by our community, shaped by the people around us. And we've all seen this happen even off the football field. We've seen community shape our priorities in terms of where we spend our time and where we spend our energy and where we spend our thoughts and where we spend our money. We've seen community affect Those priorities, and it's so important because where you sit—it's not just showing what you value. Where you sit is where you're going to invite others to join. Where you sit determines on where you're inviting people in. Because a healthy community, man, it's something that's always inviting. We had our small groups kick off a couple days ago on Thursday, and it was awesome. And I got to see just a lot of our different groups, a lot of different uh, areas of what we're doing. And man, it it was so encouraging. But I'll tell you, one of the most encouraging things about the whole experience actually happened Thursday morning. I had the opportunity to meet with, have breakfast with one of our leaders And we were talking about his group and kind of what was getting started. And I was just asking him about, you know, if he had been inviting people who was gonna be a part of it. And he's like, yeah, I've got, you know, all these people. And he'd invited essentially like Texas A&M University to join his small group. And I'm like, great, go for it. And so that night, what I got to see was that, yeah, sure enough, he'd invited a ton of people. And in fact, he drove about half of them just in his car to get there, right? He brought them to that place. He said, you're gonna get in my car and I'm gonna drive you. And I'm, put on your seatbelt, just buckle up, child locks are on so you can't get out. And surprise, it's a Bible study. <laughs> right, And he takes him up to campus to be a part of his campus group. And man, I'll tell you, it was amazing. It was so encouraging because not only had he invited these people in to come and sit with him, but they had invited other people as well. And that's a sign of a healthy community. It's a sign of someone who's rooted in a place. Where was he rooted? In studying the Lord's word. That's where we need to be rooted. My question for you is where do you belong? Where do you feel that belonging? Where do you feel that you are sitting? Who's your community and what do they value? What's their priority? I'll tell you the the priority of the local church, the local body of Christ, our value, our priority, sometimes it gets a little cloudy because we're just people (laughs) and we're gonna make missteps and we're gonna make mistakes but ideally our guiding light, our priority is always to know God and make God known. And that's what we're about. And I would challenge you to find a community that values that same thing. It doesn't need to just happen at church on a Sunday morning or Thursday night. That's a value that we can all have every single day of the week to know God, to make God known. One of the ways that God has allowed us to declare that, one of the ways that God has a gift that he's given us, a practice that he's shown us that's so beautiful that we see in scripture that we get to practice today is is baptism. Through baptism, what we get to do is we get to publicly declare that we've made a personal decision to align ourselves with Christ, that we get to publicly show everyone that comes, anyone who might look, we get to tell them, I'm sitting in this circle. I'm a part of this community. I'm putting my roots down right here in the body of Christ, in God's people. Because I wanna know God and I wanna make God known. That's what baptism is. And I would encourage you, if you've never been baptized as a believer, we're, we're having an opportunity for that here in our college service. On October 9th, it's about a month from now, we're gonna have college baptisms. And I'm really excited about it. We did it last year, last December. and it was one of my favorite, It was one of my favorite things we've ever done, by far because you get to see people's hearts just put right out there. And it's not just seeing how they're great and they're amazing. It's seeing how God has been working in their heart and working in their life. It's so encouraging. So I would, again, just encourage to you, if you've never been baptized as a believer, email Ashley. She's helping me in gathering you and, and in kind of working with everyone. So she and or I will follow up with you. If you just send her an email, say, hey, I'm interested in getting baptized and we'll take it from there. We'll take it from there. But it's an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm going to root myself next to living streams. I'm going to root myself in the body of Christ because my community, man, I know it's just going to shape my priorities. And you know what? Our commitments do as well. This past week I had the opportunity uh, on Monday to get dinner with a number of uh, people from uh, our, our area. And one of them was a rabbi. He's a rabbi here in town uh, and he Uh, And I were talking about uh, the Torah and we were talking about uh, the law and kind of he was explaining to me about how he'd been walking through this Torah study with some students. And so I asked him, I was like, I was just real super curious. And so I was like, hey, well, what's maybe, what's one of the most like recent kind of fun things you got to share? What's just sort of a fun like element that you got to share with these students that you're walking through the Torah with? And so he says, well, we got to this point in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 14, verse 21 He says, and once we got there, uh, it has this uh, significant line in it. It's a line at the very end of the verse that says, Do not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Okay. Yeah. Pretty standard Deuteronomy uh, (laughs) (laughs) stuff. Do not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. All right, and it's talking about all these kind of practices to set yourselves apart, right? That's a lot of the laws. It's just meant to set Israel apart from the nations around them. And so God's saying, look, don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And what the Jewish rabbis decided whether well, they've interpreted that is that has inst- that is the foundation for the kosher practice of keeping separating all meat and dairy. So if you know anyone that's like a traditional Jew, anyone who's like really practicing a kosher pra- like law, what they'll do is they'll separate meat and dairy at all times. They won't uh, ideally they have separate kitchens in which to prepare those things a lot of times the space doesn't allow for that and so instead what they do is they just have different they have completely separate pots and pans and plates and forks and everything one for dairy one for meat and it's this huge element of the practice and this is what's interesting is the rabbi was telling me he was like yeah so we've been doing this for you know thousands of years and he says modern scholars modern biblical scholars have actually determined that this is actually describing, this verse in 21, a couple times in Exodus as well, says it's, it's actually describing a specific Canaanite dish that they used in pagan rituals. And so what's happening in that verse is it's actually God just telling Israel, hey, I want you to be set apart and just to be super clear, this is like a really like, horrific thing that they're doing. Like, don't do that thing in particular. It's like, don't do that practice Because in doing so, you'll you'll be really different from the people around you. They'll look at you. They'll see difference. They'll know that you follow me, the one true God, and not their false idols. So he says, the modern scholars have decided, like, oh, yeah, this is actually just describing that one particular practice. God's not trying to use this one verse to set up this whole, like, bonus round of food restrictions. It's not what he's doing. And yet, even as the rabbi shared that with me, he says, but I'm committed to the original rabbinical interpretation." So I'm committed to it. He says, we're all committed to it because we value what those men said, how they studied, what they determined, how they interpreted scripture, the sacrifices that they made to get us to where we are. He says, and so I'm gonna hold to it. I'm gonna commit myself to that interpretation, even though it's broken. You know, and as I was talking with my wife that evening, I realized Uh, man, I was just really thinking in about how tragic of a commitment that is. Because it's so clearly valuing a broken interpretation over God's inspired scripture. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's happening in that way because it's flowing out of a commitment to reject Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah, as the savior of the world. And so when I hear things like that, when I have conversations like that, I try to commit myself that I'm gonna pray I'm gonna pray for my friend that I met on Monday. I'm gonna pray for that rabbi here in town that the spirit would move in his heart, would bring him to repentance, would show him that God has a better instruction, that Jesus Christ truly is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. I'm gonna pray that he would find salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the reality is that, man, we're all surrounded by people with those broken commitments. And that should break our hearts to know that there are people in our midst every single day who are committed to destruction. That should tear us up. That there are people who have committed themselves to broken communities, to broken commitments. We should pray for them. We should talk with them. We should listen to them. And we need to recognize that in the midst of that brokenness, that God is calling us to something better. That God is calling us to follow a better way, to stay rooted in a better instruction that flows out of a better, beautiful truth that Jesus Christ died so that we might live. That's where we're rooted. That's where we stand. That's what we see and that's what we do so that we might look forward to the greatest joy of knowing God, of making him known, of knowing him through committed study and making him known through God focused community. That's what we're called to. So let's go before the Lord. Let's pray to him and ask him that he would move us in that direction. God, we thank you that you've given us, Lord, your instruction, your will. God, we thank you that you've revealed all of this, all of this to us. Lord, we just pray that we would commit ourselves to remaining rooted in your wisdom, God, rooted in your instruction, that, God, we would find ourselves in communities that are rooted in your wisdom and rooted in your instruction. If you would take a moment right now, just ask the Lord to show you, what's your next step? Is God calling you to a community that you don't have? Is God calling you to be a part of a community that's focused on him, whether that's a small group at a church or with an organization or wherever it might be? Ask the Lord, God, are you pointing me towards a community? God, is that where I need to be focused? Is that way? Is that maybe where my, my placement is is lacking? Or maybe you ask the Lord and say, God, are you calling me instead to a personal commitment? God, a commitment to to obeying your commands, or to of releasing the, my own grasp on that, that sin, my commitment to that sin or that, that attitude, or that practice. Pray, ask the Lord, God, are you calling me to a personal commitment to study your word or to obey your truth? God, show me where is it that you're calling me to move forward and Lord, empower me. God, let your spirit motivate me and strengthen me to take those steps of faith. Pray those things right now. Well, hello, and welcome to the Grace College Podcast.
0: Man, I'm uh, excited to be here with you guys. My name is Jacob Smith. And I'm Kevin Barra, and thank you so much for joining us. And uh, another great week in, in college world. And so what we want to do on this side of the podcast is to talk about some of our sermons and some of the things that are upcoming. And so to jump us off, Jacob, we have uh, we started our psalm series. We did. did. It was super fun. I was so excited to hit the series.
1: We're doing four weeks total in Psalms. uh, And, man, we're going to bounce around a lot. But thanks to that, we're going to get to cover kind of some of the major themes that we find in the book. Uh, And, man, we started off uh, where the book starts in chapter one. uh, And it was really great. It was about, you know, abiding in the word of the Lord, uh, surrounding yourself with the Lord's people. Uh, It was just it was a really cool way to kick it off of basically like, hey, you should read this stuff and you should listen to it and you should bring other people alongside of you that like also
0: are reading it. So it was right. it was really fun. That's right, that's right. And it was a great one to jump off with, especially because um uh even where we're going with the semester with our small groups and stuff. Yeah. But uh you know, as we were talking about what we were able to emphasize in our particular sermons, there was a piece that both of us both of us said, uh we it would have been great to hit this one a little bit more. Yeah. We both kind of talked about uh just how to have a basic devotional time. Right. And so we, fig- we both figured as we were talking about it, it'd be good to kind of hit what are the pieces that make a good devotional time as you as you try to study the, the, the Bible on your own?
1: Yeah. So just broad strokes, like if you're looking for a place to start or if you're looking to maybe re uh you know, studying the Lord's Word, maybe you haven't done it in a while, uh, we have kind of just boiled it down to some of its basic components. And kind of the way that I would start uh, is I would encourage you uh, to pick a time to pick a place, and to pick a book. Uh, So time, place, book. Let that kind of be your guiding uh, elements when you're thinking about, okay, how am I going to be spending time with the Lord? But yeah, so do you want to explain...
0: Yeah. So pick a time. The, the The first thing on that is just picking a time is is simply this, uh, a time where you can actually think, <laughs> especially in college world. So many times you are pushed to the max and you're like, oh, yeah, I'll totally have a quiet time at 3 a.m. when I'm free. In and, between uh, labs. Right. Or, yeah, in between labs where people are walking by. And uh, and so just really to pick a time where you're going to be mentally fresh and able to be focused yeah uh, to, to spend time with the Lord. And the next one was to pick a place.
1: Yeah. So essentially, you know, the same way that you want a time where you're focused, you want a place where you can be focused. And, uh, really this is more of building a habit. This helps you build a habit. Uh, the same way that if I was going to, you know, have a date with my wife, uh, or if I wanted to meet a friend, I would like say, Hey, let's go to this place. Like I wouldn't just be like, Hey, let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. Susan, like you would be specific because you want to be intentional with because that time, <laughs> right? You need a plan. Uh, and God loves them too. And so it's you know, it's really helpful to just know, okay, I'm going to go to this coffee shop or I'm going to go to my room or I'm going to go to the kitchen table or wherever it might be. Like I'm going to have this time and I'm also going to have an intentional place where I can focus where there's not, like you said, people run around, noise is distracting me, you know, whatever it might be
0: uh, a place where I can really, uh, you know, listen to the Lord in that in that time. Awesome. And the last piece is to pick a book. And what we mean by that is really two options: um, pick a devotional book. There's yeah. a lot of great devotional books out there that um, that can help guide your thinking and, and help you to connect with the Lord. Um, or pick a book of the Bible. Uh, surprise, surprise! You can read a particular book of the Bible and. And where would you encourage them to start? I mean, if you're starting uh, the first time to really dive into a, a small group, where would you guide a college student to start, Jacob?
1: Yeah, I, generally when people ask me that, I mean, because I've had this conversation multiple times, and um, I mean, I, I always really like to point people just to one of the Gospels, um, maybe even specifically Mark. The Gospel of Mark sort of sort of is a highlight reel of, of Christ's time on earth and just kind of shows sort of some of the big moments from his ministry of his his time here. And so uh, that's a really great one that I always point people to. And and whichever book it is, I always encourage people to uh, use some sort of commentary to speak into it. So you're not just straight up trying to read it and, you know, ascertain like, wait, a cubit is how far? You know, like figuring that stuff out. And so it's helpful to use a commentary. And and there's so many great commentaries that you can get for free uh, in our digital age. You can go online to um, bible.org has a lot of really wonderful resources, commentaries and articles on different passages. You can search by the passage or the book. You can also go to soniclight.org, uh, which is a full like bible commentary from a guy named D- Dr. Thomas Constable who uh, just put a lot of time and energy and wonderful thoughts to paper, and, and it's free, and you can just use it to, to just guide your reading yeah. uh, as you're walking through whatever book it is that you've chosen.
0: Yeah, it's so helpful, and I, we just encourage you to pick a pick a short book. You know, the yeah. you, you could spend your time in Leviticus, and that may yeah. be awesome. That may be where you need Maybe. to be, but. Uh, in order to feel like you're moving, uh, it might be helpful to pick a shorter book. Pick the Gospel of Mark, or pick a one of Paul's letters, and just just start simple, and uh, and you can win it. So, yeah. uh, great, great advice on there. So, pick a time, pick a place, pick a book. Um, the other thing is this: that's also helpful. Uh, if you're really green and you've actually never spent any time reading the Bible by yourself, I encourage you to do it yourself. But get in a small group, yeah. get connected in a small group. We have got some here. There's a ton they of do, groups. and they're up and rolling. They are up and rolling. So great segue. To, oh yeah, to our small groups. <laughs>
1: our and small this. groups are open. So they kicked off this past week, uh, and they are continuing to you know be happening. This week uh, on, let's see, what is it going to be? The 15th, September 15th, uh, is this Thursday. So 7 o'clock at our Anderson campus, 7 o'clock at our Southwood campus. Both of them are just, again, kind of acting as sort of these uh, big markers of, of gathering places for students. Normal uh, during Normally during the week, people will be scattered at different homes and apartments around town. But for this week, fi- this is our last week to be all gathered in you know those kind of main locations. So uh, if you're wanting to be in a campus group, again, you're going to want to sign up online so that a leader will contact you directly and tell you where you're meeting. Uh, but if you're just wanting to be in a community group or a serve group focus group. You're going to be coming to, again, Anderson at seven o'clock or Southwood at seven o'clock this Thursday, September 15th.
0: It's a great place to get plugged in and a great place to start building some relationships. And so, and the next big announcement we want to give you is this. Uh, We have girls night coming up. Holla. Holla. And uh, we won't be there, but we will encourage you to go there. And uh, there's actually going to be in downtown Bryan. Uh, It's going to be Thursday, September 29th at 6 p.m. Thursday, September 29th at 6 p.m., and it will be so fun. It is fun.
1: You basically get to hear – you choose one of three sessions to hear a speaker basically uh, initiate a conversation, give you some talking points, kind of just talk about a, a pressing subject, and then you go to dinner with your friends in kind of a little small community, and you get to talk about uh, whatever it is you heard. Like you get to talk about that conversation, and there's leaders that will help guide that conversation so you don't have to, like, feel the burden to, like – take all the notes and, like, come up with a bunch of questions. Like, there's people that will help you uh, process and talk through whatever it is that you've heard discussed from the stages. So, yeah, it's it's, a, it's really fun. The girls always love it. My wife loves it. Um, it's, yeah, it's a super great thing.
0: Yeah, it's going to be at the Grand Stafford Theater in downtown Bryan. That's going to be the initial meeting point, And then they'll kind of divide from there to, to go to the groups. Um, great time and a great place to bring your friends. If you're not connected yeah. to church, uh, this is kind of a non- uh, an unintimidating environment yeah. for them to get connected and uh, and to have some great great conversations. Yeah. So, okay. That's it. Hey, thank you so much for joining us with the Grace Bible uh, Grace College podcast. Yeah. Have a great week. Talk to you next week.